welcome back to the Martial Arts Mania Podcast. I'm AJ. And I'm Bruce Gavin. Bruce Gavin. Gavin Lee. Gavin Lee. Gavin... Bruce Lee, Lee Gavin Bruce, you know, the combinations are endless. And that's what we love about Bruce Bloitation, which is what we're going to be talking about today. But first, how are you, my friend? I'm doing quite well. How about yourself? I'm doing quite well. Happy New Year. Happy New- yes, happy so New Year. So this is our we- second episode dropping in the New Year, but the first time we've recorded in the New Year. So 2023. Year of the rabbit. Year of the rabbit, my man. That's right. So still still technically not Year of the Rabbit yet. We still have like another month or so. So, but soon to be Year of the Rabbit in year more ways eight. than one. You're going to see. Year of the AJ. Year of the AJ. Heck yeah. And the, for those that don't know, my fight name is AJ the Rabbit. So, yeah. But yeah. anyway, how are you today? Good, sir? I, I'm doing quite well. Look, I'm... I'm I'm in the home studio now. Nice. Uh, I was going to record from the work studio, but was able to uh, move things around a little bit. So nice to be sitting at home, ready to record. I love it. I love it. And in How case, are you doing? How's, uh, how's the closet? The closet's good. And in case people might have just heard something, those are birds on my roof. So uh, we've, once again, lots of crazy rain. We now have a beautiful lake behind us because it's like a reservoir that never fills up. And now it does. And it's gorgeous, but it brings in a ton of birds. So we've got birds on the roof. You may hear them fluttering away. And my apologies. But otherwise, the recording studio, the closet is good. Our sound quality is good. Life is good. I can't complain. I've already had a nice Saturday. Went and got some training in at the dojo with the boys, some good uh, intricate bag work and drills because, once again, the Budokan Fighting Arts Gym in Fresno, it is a Muay Thai and karate gym, so but competitive style karate. So it's a great combination of, you know, Western boxing, Muay Thai and karate. So today we're doing a lot of mixed drills, which for me... The like the techniques of karate, the punches, the kicks, you know, like mwashigari, junguri, all this stuff I've done for years, right? And even in Shirinji Kempo, it was the same basic techniques, but not the application. So a lot of, for example, our sensei, Sensei Larry, has been drilling the karate blitz with me now, which has Ooh. taken me forever to even just get the basics of it down. But it's it's learning some of the intricacies of competitive karate techniques, which are fascinating to me, but so much harder than they look, just the small nuances. So we were doing a lot of those drills today where it's like you start off in a Muay Thai type combo, back out, then enter back in explosively with a karate style blitz. And then use like boxing footwork to angle your way out and then go back to a Muay Thai combo. So once again, it's 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 awesome, but it can be both physically and mentally exhausting, but I love it. I'm I'm interested in in kind of getting to see you uh, demonstrate the karate blitz. Yeah, it's, it's uh, uh, hey, it sounds still it needs sounds some, intense. Still needs some time, man. It's 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 tough. You know, you, sometimes you see that and you're like, oh, I could do that, and then you're like, oh wait, I I cannot do that. So it gives me a whole new. I've always had respect for high level point karate and karate competitors, but it gives me a whole new level of respect because holy crap, just to get these type of techniques correct and to be able to control your power when you're doing point karate obviously we are not controlling we are using this for full contact muay thai and kickboxing but 
yeah, just the the timing and the angles and the footwork and the rhythm. And it's, it's all very fascinating to me to learn. So I love learning new stuff. I love being a beginner. A lot of people don't. I do. Now, in to clarify that, though, I love learning from masters of their art, like our sensei, right? Who's lifelong karateka and then Muay Thai kickboxing. You know, I've been doing Muay Thai kickboxing for years and I can still learn new stuff in that. But like learning a lot of this karate stuff is amazing for me. I'm like, wow, this is really cool. Now, what I don't like is unsolicited advice. Like if you're hitting the heavy bag at the gym and someone tries to tell you how you should be doing something <laughs> and then they try to demonstrate and they're just like God awful. And you still are trying to be respectful as the respectful martial artist. And then the funny part is you can sometimes be like, oh, I'm good. Thank you. And they're like, no, no, man, you need to listen to me and do it. It's like, no, I'm good. Thank you. You know, and sometimes people just won't back down. And that's when your patience is truly tested. One, one of these days, I'll have to tell you about the the class I took where it was a Muay Thai class and they told me to kick without my leg. Now, it's, uh, what? Yes. <laughs> and I was like, they're like, no, don't don't extend your leg for the kick. So I'm like, so my kneeing them is it like a roundhouse knee. And they're like, no, no, no. You just keep the leg bent. And then once. Once you make contact, then snap the leg. And I'm like, that seems a little different than, but then you never snap. Anyway, we can get uh, it. So basically try to log that under the unsolicited advice. It was a a student who came over during a class saying, hey, you know. That's the worst. I've had dads. I've had dads come over like when I first started. Uh, I mean, I shouldn't say first started. I've already been training for like a year or two and I was trying out a new gym. And at that time, now I also know how when I'm stepping into a, a gym, like let's say if it's very straight Muay Thai and I'm trying out a class, I will replicate the straight Muay Thai. You know, I trained in Thailand. I've done Muay Thai for years. I can do that. Back then I was very much just kind of whatever I was learning. And at the time I was learning more of the European, like, you know, French style with Savat and so forth. And this, this freaking dad from the sidelines is trying to tell me how to do things right. I'm like, I'm good. Mm-hmm. And this junior instructor who was like younger than I was at that time was trying to you know, I was like, oh, no. Well, the, he's like, well, no, you have to do it like this. I was like, well, you see. And I with the forte, which is the savat, like more like a mawashigari, like ra- snapping roundhouse kick. I did one and like just held it up at his head. <laughs> uh, and I was like, well, see, that's the reason I do it like this, because your hand was lower. And, you know, I'm literally holding my foot at his face. And that was more one of those ones where my patience was definitely tested. I was also younger and I didn't have the patience I have now. Now I just don't really care. I'll be like, all right, cool, whatever. And then walk away. But uh, yeah. Yeah, that was an interesting tangent we just went down. So, uh, <laughs> anywho, we've got a great episode we're talking about today. Something quite fascinating. Something quite complex. Something so confusing sometimes that it even confused our own co-host today. In, indeed. In, in terms I, of what I, I we're am, talking about. I am I, the confused one. I thought he was messing with me before we started the episode in true Gavin fashion with his dry sense of humor. But alas, he was not. So we will get to that shortly. But anywho, what's new with you? Anything you want to share with the audience? Well, you know, we're, we're back at full swing at, at, at work, mm-hmm. uh, which is great. And it's audition season. So everyone's like, uh, you know, got their, their like focus going, their game face going. But uh, as far as anything new with me, um, I was fortunate to be able to work with uh, the JCCC, the Japanese American Cultural and Community Centers, specifically their master artisan resident, Hirokazu Kosaka, who is a Zen archery master uh, for their New Year's celebration. We had our modern dancers go over and um, 
put together a piece uh, along with this with the with uh, a kimono guild uh, classical pianist. Uh, I'm going off the top of my head. Another a couple of classical musicians, a dance troupe, and the Los Angeles Kudo Kai, which is over uh, the archery club, which is over a hundred years old, which Whoa. Mr. Kosaka is the head of. And uh, they put together this really beautiful video. I'll send it over to you so you can take a look. But it was great to participate in that and just see this uh, blending of cultures. And Mr. Mr. Kosaka has always felt like the Silk Road has never ended. Uh-huh. It continues, but it its location fluctuates. And Los Angeles is, in many ways, along the new Silk Road where all the cultures yeah. intermingle. That's a so, great way of looking at it. I like that. Yeah. So it, it, it's uh, I'll, I'll send over the video for you to watch. But uh, yeah, it was just visually beautiful. We used to do it, you know, when I worked there, we used to do it live and in person. It's a 40 minute performance. But now that it's video, we he edits it down and it's about a 12 minute performance that they uh, then showcase to the world on January 1st. I love it. That sounds so cool. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Uh, for me, nothing really new here. Same old, same old. Uh, we, we did watch. A couple, we did watch the same movie and we were confused. I thought it was because I fell asleep during it. Oh, <laughs> we, <laughs> we did. don't have to talk we, about it, though. We, yeah, we don't we don't necessarily need to talk about that. But yeah. we did watch one of the newer straight to streaming uh, videos from one of our martial arts heroes. And it unfortunately disappointed. So we're just going to leave it at that. We yeah, don't really need to talk more details on that. But I was I was <laughs> it was good to get your text because I'm like, I, I, I really felt I fell asleep during it but then you were and i must have like for five minutes it was it was a long week i was a little tired but when i found out that i really didn't my confusion was not sleep induced that was made me feel better yeah let's but just also say kind of sad that our main cast members are so much better than this movie and they're so Absolutely. much better than most of the movies they are they have been in recently and it's just a shame that they don't get better projects to work on but let's not focus on that let's yeah. focus on the positive yes yeah the new Silk Road. The new Silk Road ends at the Martial Arts Mania podcast because this That's is right. where cultures come together. And speaking of coming together, dialogue comes together sometimes in films. This is true. You ready, you ready for some quotes? Yeah, I'm ready for some quotes. Let's do okay. it. And it, I feel like these are in vain or in in line with the the genre of film we were discussing today. Sure. That is your hint. Here we go. Quote number one. Eat me up. Don't worry. I'm nobody's lunch. Oh, you picked a classic. You picked a classic. That is our sensei, Peter Sugarfoot Cunningham, as, uh, oh, what's his, what's his name in that? Frank? No, not Frank Griffin. Yeah. No, P- Frank Griffin or Frank, uh, I, I can't remember his character's name, but anyways, from No Retreat, No Surrender, uh, where Dale Jacoby's like, but you better be careful because he'll eat you up. Eat me up. Man, I'm nobody's lunch. <laughs> and uh, the funny part is, and I'm going to be speaking about this podcast coincidentally enough today, when the Clones cast, the wonderful podcast devoted to strictly Bruce Bluetation films, which is uh, co-hosted by Michael Wirth, mm. martial arts film actor from the 90s, film historian, director, Bruce Bluetation, and martial arts film expert. He's putting together a bunch of projects. They've been in the work for like nearly a decade now. Come on, let's let's see this book in the documentary. 
but he just keeps getting more interviews. Anywho, on their podcast, him and Matt is his co-host. Love that podcast. They haven't released an episode in a while, but they did a whole episode on No Retreat, No Surrender. Mm -hmm. And apparently the first time they recorded it, they talked all about Petey, but then they had technical difficulties and like the episode didn't record. We've been there. We know what it's like. So they re-recorded it. And this was during the pandemic. Oh, hello, Otis. That's a rarity. Yeah. We'll let, we'll let Otis calm down. Yeah. Otis is a nice doggy, though. And yeah, they're looking out in the hallway. Oh, do they Showing him that no one's there. Oh. <laughs> mm, something set him off. Yeah. Anywho, okay, so the Clones cast, they did a whole episode on No Retreat, No Surrender. And so the second time they recorded it, they didn't mention really anything about Petey. So, oh, no. And I was with Petey. This was like four or five months into the pandemic. And my bubble was very small, right? It was yeah. Jessica and myself. And then we would go outdoors to train with Petey. <laughs> and, uh-huh. and Herman and I would still wear a mask. The other yes. people really wouldn't. But so I had to drive Petey to the gas station. I can't remember why. I feel like he was buying lotto tickets. As cliche <laughs> as that sounds. But and I was like, what the heck? The clones cast in and mentioned Petey. So we called in because they have a call in number. Oh, they do? Yeah. And so we called in and I was like, hey, guys, uh, long time listener, first time caller. Well, you forgot about the best part of that movie, Peter Sugarfoot Cunningham, blah, blah, blah. So here he is. And then he, Petey said the line, eat me up, man, I'm nobody's lunch. So uh, <laughs> we did get a shout out on the next episode and they apologize for forgetting to oh, mention good. Petey in the re-recording. But anywho, oh, yes, really your, your first quote is Peter Sugarfoot Cunningham from yes. No Retreat, No Surrender. There you go. And the next one mm-hmm. is... Uh, it's from the original language version. Okay. But the original language version is in Cantonese, but also has some English lines. Oh. So just putting it out there. So the lines are said first in Cantonese and then translated into English. Okay. I tell you, Chinese Kung Fu, number one. Oh, uh, Way of the Dragon. No. No. No, 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 no. Sorry, that is not right. I knew that right after I said it, but I was thinking... Uh, because in Way of the Dragon's Chinese boxer. But no, uh, I tell you, Chinese. Oh, uh, oh, 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 enter the fat dragon. There you go. Yes. Excellent. See, I knew it. Okay, I got it. Because I, I remember when you said the Cantonese in the translation. Yeah, they're good. Good quote. Well, there you go. Because, I mean, they're they're in, in this universe. I right. I feel like that we're about to enter. Oh, 100%. Enter the fat dragon is one of the best exploitation films. But it's also the one with maybe the most heart and the least amount of exploitation. It's more of Bruce homage yeah tation <laughs> it, 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 it's it, or it like deconstructs the, the oh, exploitation now we're getting into some real genre. film theory and criticism so we are speaking of exploitation, and there are some of us who are not as uh well versed as well versed okay yes so first so off I, I thought maybe you could tell us a little bit more about it you got it my man so Let's mention today first what we're talking about. We are talking about the 1981 Golden Harvest, Ng Si Yun directed Game of Death 2, 
aka Tower of Death, which is in line with the Bruceploitation genre. It is one of the greatest Bruceploitation films ever made. Has some phenomenal fight sequences. Actually, one of them made my list of, you know, top 10 fight sequences yeah. being that we couldn't reuse <laughs> other actors. Uh, it coasts, So it stars Kim Tai Chung, mm-hmm. uh, aka Tong Long. Uh, as his stage name, who was one of the Bruce doubles for the first Game of Death movie and also was in No Retreat, No Surrender as Bruce Lee, a Korean Taekwondo martial artist. It co-stars a plethora of actors from that era, but mostly we've got more specifically, we have Huang Jang Lee in mm-hmm. there, the Korean super kicker who's been part of some of the most classic pieces of Hong Kong martial arts cinema. We've got the great Roy Haran. May he rest in peace. We've got so many stunt players from that era and other actors. Lee Hoi San shows up in there on top of that. So those are the main key players right off the top. Once again, directed by Ying Si Yuen, the same director from seasonal films that kind of gave Jackie his big break in a sense with Drunken Master, Snake in the Eagle's Shadow. Mm-hmm. He also would do the No Retreat, No Surrender movies later. So, And you, you've got music uh, music by, by Frankie Chan, Supposedly, I yeah. A lot of the Allegedly. music is also ripped off, but the music is great in this. And I think the original score, the one that plays, I believe that's original music. So I imagine that's Frankie Chan. So thank yep. you, Frankie, because it's a great score. But so Bruce Bloitation, let's talk about Bruce Bloitation. So- what 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 exactly qualifies a film as Bruce exploitation and and what is that Bruce exploitation Ex- universe because I feel like there there's some subgenres within oh, yeah. that that you get into the sub sub Bruce exploitation genres excellent question very hard to define and once again I encourage everyone to listen to the clones cast and go back and listen to all their episodes because Michael Worth is truly one of the top experts in this subgenre of the Kung Fu Pian of martial arts cinema. And it is complex and convoluted. And he knows the ins and outs of it like crazy. And I guarantee you there's still a lot he doesn't know. I mean, because Bruceploitation spreads far and wide. It's American cinema, Hong Kong cinema, Filipino cinema, Thai cinema, Korean cinema, Japanese cinema. It's everywhere. You can see slight hints of it in, I don't know, films like Sister Street Fighter even, where you wouldn't, mm-hmm. that's not a Bruceploitation film, but there's blue, Bruceploitation elements in it, right? Or even uh, like even another- skinny, Even Skinny Tiger, Fatty Dragon Oh, in 100%. Ways? That's Sammo doing his Bruce homage again. So that's another great example of it just being a, a slight little uh, connection to the Bruceploitation genre. I wouldn't necessarily call- Skinny Tiger, Fatty Dragon, but it has those elements in it. Then you've got just straight up Bruceploitation films where they're taking like, you know, Fist of Fury Part 2 or The Chinese Connection Part 2, right? You've got uh, key players that were part of this genre, actors that would just Mm -hmm. be, instead of Bruce Lee, it was Bruce Lai, who's one of my all-time favorites, and then Bruce Lei with one E. Then there's Dragon Lee, then there's Bruce Leung, and then the list goes on and on and on. And once again, these actors were from Korea, Hong Kong. You had... uh, the Philippines had a whole sub mm-hmm. genre of Bruce exploitation films. Even in America, as we mentioned, No Retreat, No Surrender, a co-production. But then also you had films like They Call Me Bruce, right? You but know, yeah, it, those and those are those are definitely within that universe, right? So we should kind of let's let's go back to where the it began. Bruce exploitation really technically started before he even passed away with one of the first films to kind of have elements of Bruce Bloitation being Fist of Unicorn, which was a film that his 
lifelong friend, childhood friend, and then friend into adulthood, Unicorn Chan. It was his first big starring role. Many of you would recognize Unicorn Chan from a small part in Fist of Fury and then a slightly bigger part in Way of the Dragon. I, I don't know how to describe him. He's kind of got curly hair. But anyways, he had his first starring role as a Golden Harvest film. It had a lot of the key players from Bruce's films, like Ji Hong Jae is in there, Wong and Sick, if I'm not mistaken. And Bruce was the fight choreographer. Well, little did Bruce know, they were filming a lot of the behind-the-scenes stuff. They filmed a whole banquet they did for the film and then threw all that footage in at the beginning. And Bruce mm-hmm. didn't know. And Bruce was apparently not happy about it, and understandably so. So we're talking, Bruce Bloitation started before he had even passed away. Then he passes away, and he becomes this, posthumously becomes this huge worldwide global superstar. So at first, for Western audiences and for major releases, it's like, great, we've still got three of his movies we can release, right? His, the Big Boss, Fist of Fury, Way of the Dragon. And then it's suddenly like, well... The, the, the demand for Bruce is still there. And keep in mind, we're talking about the early 70s. People didn't have mm-hmm. access to the Internet. They only, you know, there was books and magazines and stuff. But for regular common viewers, they may have not even known that much. They well, may have not known Bruce died for heaven's sake. And so well, and, that's, and that's one thing I was going to ask about, like with with this uh, genre, who, who were the who was the target audience? Was it people just like hungering for more of that style? Was I, it or was it? like a, an attempt to hoodwink people who might be overseas and not familiar with both. the news. Definitely both. And I think for a lot of people, it's like they knew it wasn't Bruce, but they still wanted more of their Bruce fix, right? They'd become fascinated with this gentleman and a lot of it was hoodwinking. And this comes from the advertisements. They'd, th- they'd say Bruce Lee is in this movie a lot of the time. They had to be careful, right? And there were actually some lawsuits that happened in America based off of releases claiming Bruce was in it using Bruce's image. But a lot of them would just put him on the poster. They put his name on there. Some were more subtle and clever about it. Like, you know, kind of maybe taking a picture of him and uh, what would you call it? Uh, Like changing the colors or superimposing, right? And then not having his name on there. Or it might be like the dragon returns. It's like, oh, sweet Bruce Lee. Never said Bruce. And it's it's like a silhouette in the background. Exactly. It's it's like in honor of. Some were just blatant lies, right? That, hey, (laughs) Bruce is in this. And then using the marketing. One of my favorite examples is the Korean film Bruce Lee Fights Back from the Grave. Where oh, yeah, that's the trailer a- is one of the best trailers. If you haven't seen it after this episode and after you've already subscribed, downloaded and shared with your friends, <laughs> go to YouTube and watch the trailer for Bruce Lee Fights Back from the Grave. It's one of the all time best trailers. I remember showing it to some friends in college, uh, my friend Jeff in specific, and just him getting a huge kick out of it. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. It has we no- the, the film has nothing to do with Bruce Lee. In fact, it's actually like a martial arts remake of The Third Man, a classic piece of uh CHC or classic Hollywood cinema. And, but the whole marketing thing is about Bruce coming back from the dead and fighting like the black angel of death. And it's just so absurd. And yeah, has nothing to actually do with Bruce. So that's a example. And it stars, by the way, June Chong, who would later move to America, open up a martial arts school, which is still in mm-hmm. the Beverly Hills area to this day. And he would co-star in some other great martial arts films. He was also the instructor for the Reed brothers, Simon Reed Philippe. Anywho. And then other films would more like uh, the audience started to become more familiar, but then it's like, and Michael Worth has talked about this a lot. Then it becomes this thought of experiment of like, well, what would Bruce have done had he still been around? So then you kind of have like a Bruce Indiana Jones movie, like like Bruce Lee in New Guinea, right? Or then <laughs> some of them are just so absurd. Like Bruce Lung, uh, 
you know, did a couple, including, oh my gosh, I can't think of the name of it right now. The one where Bruce pretty much, Bruce Lee pretty much goes to hell and like, you mm-hmm. know, fights mm-hmm. all these people in hell and stuff. Uh, I can't think of the name of it right now, but maybe it'll come to me later. So, and then Bruce Lai, once again, Ho Chong Tao was given this name, Bruce Lai, and his films became so successful. He was like forced to keep doing the genre because he, he had nothing but love and admiration for Bruce. But if producers were like, nah, man, literally at knife point, he's talked about it. You're going to keep making these movies and you're going to keep being Bruce Lai. And the interesting part about Bruce Lai's work is you can tell he was trying to pull away from that. And some of his later films are very interesting. They, like you were mentioning before, they kind of deconstruct the whole genre and there's a lot of reflexivity and even like what we'd say intertextuality where it's referencing actual Bruce Lee cinema within them. And it's a kind of a commentary on a sense of the corruption and the inauthentic nature of these films. Like you have movies like Dynamo where, or in the Chinese stunt man, which were, they're actually kind of, they have some deeper elements to them that need to be examined. Uh, viewers mm-hmm. should watch those and appreciate kind of what he was trying to do with those films. But then you had other actors in the genre, like Bruce Lee, Dragon Lee, where they just ate it up, man. They embraced it. Dragon Lee was so over the top. You got loved. And he was jacked, man. That dude was jacked, but was. A, a Korean Bruce Lee impersonator who just, everything was so cheesy hokey over the top like what you know he, 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 always like doing the bruce lee mannerisms always hitting, yeah hitting his nose like shaking his head and he in my opinion may have been the one that actually looked the most like bruce from certain angles and then you've got other actors like bruce lay so the pretty much the three big bruce lee impersonators were bruce lai the one who was like reluctantly forced into it my favorite who i think actually made some great pieces of hong kong martial arts cinema you've got dragon lee the most over-the-top guy that just knew what he was getting himself into and embraced it. Then you have Bruce Lay, who's really my least favorite. I've learned to appreciate more of his work later on, but apparently in real life, he was like convinced he was Bruce Lee. Like that's the rumor or what I've read. And he just walked around 24 seven as this Bruce Lee type character and just maybe it got to his head. Maybe he, I don't know. So yeah, this whole genre was born out of the popularity of Bruce, him dying so early on a demand for more films from him the maybe his fans who even knew he was dead just wanting to have some sort of connection to him then there was always the hope that there was more bruce footage out there that there was films maybe he had done or missing scenes and obviously the main one being his incomplete project game of death which did eventually get released by golden harvest mm-hmm. and that's maybe the biggest most extravagant technically bruce bloitation film there is they took the 30 minutes that he had filmed for the finale cut it down to 11 minutes and then made a whole movie before that with stand-ins including our actor from today's film kim tai chung and then yuen biao doing the acrobatics uh-huh. and once again, the goal, uh, I think Game of Death is, I actually enjoy watching it. It's a fun, campy film with some great music uh, by John Barry, who did the James Bond films as well. So you've got that film. And then, for example, our film we're talking about today was another one that actually came to fruition because supposedly there was all this unused footage from Enter the Dragon. And they're like, hey, we're going to build a whole movie around it. And then at the end of the day, there really wasn't that much footage. And it just becomes this total like exploitation flick. So... This is a subject that can be talked about forever. And obviously there's a whole podcast on it. There's people that write about this and Michael Worth is putting together a documentary because so many key players uh, from Hong Kong cinema were part of Bruce Bloitation one way or another. As we said, Samuel Hung made the film Enter the Fat Dragon, which is more of an homage to Bruce Lee. 
than Bruceploitation, but still has those elements and it's a great film. Jackie Chan started New Fist of Fury. That was one of his early films mm-hmm. for Low Way, which was a total Bruceploitation flick. All the stunt players from that era worked on Bruceploitation films. You watch them even today's. You see a few of the key players like Corey Ewan, Mars, and et cetera, et cetera. So... And then, hey, Jean-Claude Van Damme's first movie, No Retreat, No Surrender, a Bruceploitation yeah. film, right? So it it's such a prevalent part of martial arts cinema, and how it came to be is due to the unfortunate passing, but also global superstardom and popularity of Bruce, this demand for more Bruce product, a lot of people not knowing he had passed, a lot of people knowing he had already passed, but just wanting to see more of their hero, or as I said, the the thought experiment idea of, well, what would have Bruce had done? Maybe he would have mm-hmm. done movies like this. So yeah, and a lot of times it was just lookalikes, you know, doing over-the-top impersonations like Dragon Lee. Other times they would like the film we're talking about today and the original Game of Death, they would splice in footage of Bruce, which was, you know, then you're you're stepping on some uh interesting copyright territory there. So you had to be mm-hmm. careful. Then there was biography films made like Bruce Lai, I think made, was it four or five quote unquote, like biography films. It really wasn't until he did Bruce Lee, the man, the myth, one of my all time favorite Kung Fu movies also directed by Ying C. Yuen, where we got kind of a more authentic biography film. And that just kind of goes to show that Ying C. Yuen also had an appreciation for Bruce. It wasn't so much that he was trying to exploit him as much as it was like, Hey, this is a guy that inspired me and I want to make movies in tribute to him. But also at the end of the day, maybe he was led to believe there would be other things attached to this film, which would make them more authentic as opposed to more exploitive. So, I mean, we could talk forever about this, but we're not going to today because let's actually get into our film today. And, and, and what was our film again? So here's the funny part. Gavin, when we were beginning to record, he says, okay, I accidentally watched Big Boss 2 today. Now, I think he's joking because in this, once again, the genre is so complex and confusing and hard to navigate. There's Big Boss 2, then there's The Big Boss Part 2, which is mm-hmm. a very rare Bruce Bloitation film starring Lo Lee that we got to watch at the New Beverly Cinema. Big Boss 2 is a Dragon Lee film with Bolo Young in it. And I think Gavin's kidding, but no, he's not. You actually did watch Big yeah, Boss I, 2 on accident. I did actually watch it. And as I'm watching it, I'm thinking, you know, we haven't we haven't really done an episode dedicated to Bruce Bloitation. Obviously, we saw the screenings at uh, New Beverly. We spoke about those films, but I'm like, of all the Bruce exploitation films, why is AJ picking this one? <laughs> because and then, of course, when I see the episode, you know, the the notification during the podcast, there's Game of Death too, and I'm like, ah, that makes sense. So yeah, once again, and that's why I can only laugh. I can't be like, damn it, Gavin, what the heck? It's because they talk. Michael Worth talks about this a lot too. How confusing it can be, and that's the other thing. That's what would get people too renting VHS tapes back in the day. You'd get all this artwork and everything on there. Think you're renting, and I fell for it a few times too. You'd think you were getting a Bruce Lee movie, uh, or at least for me, it would be like, okay, I think I'm getting a Bruce Lee movie, and then I'd get bamboozled, and then I would get like Bruce. Do- I don't even know. <laughs> do, do you remember shortly after Rumble in the Bronx, which in Japan was Red uh-huh. Bronx, there was Rumble, Rumble in, Hong in Hong Kong. Kong. And I'm that, like, is this the one movie I haven't seen of Jackie Chan's? And then, oh, nope. no. I'd so that's it. part of a subgenre that I actually started writing a paper on a couple years ago and never finished. I should see if I have it somewhere. Where it's Jackie Chan's exploitation, which <laughs> happened in his super meteoric rise in the mid 90s. And there was multiple films like that where, yes, Jackie's in it, but I fell victim to that one. I rented 
Rumble in Hong Kong. It oh, actually yeah. got released at my local video store. Same here. And I was so excited. And then I put it in. I'm like, what the heck is this? The original title, I believe, was Police Woman. It was actually on Netflix streaming a couple years ago, a, a pretty good quality version of it. And it stars, uh, what's her face from Kung Fu Hustle? I can't think of her name right mm, now. But the, the landlady. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so there you go. There's another example of that. Yeah, but- so it's, yeah, so this, you know, I saw the sequel, you know, in, in our text exchange, you know, I saw part two and then a couple of days pass, I get the movie, start watching. And of course I'm watching the wrong knockoff sequel. Right. And when we, once again, we've seen Chinese Connection Part Two, right? You know, we saw that at the New Beverly and Lee So Nam directed that film and he did a lot of these uh, Bruce Ploitation films as well. Uh, Michael Worthison, I know, interviewed him for his upcoming documentary. And yeah, it's just, it's so easy to get confused. But you have seen this film before. And so I'll kind of lead the way. So Game of Death 2, 1981, Golden Harvest release a quote-unquote sequel to Game of Death. However, anybody that watches this film, it's pretty uh, obvious that it's more of a sequel to Enter the Dragon, if anything else. Yes, it does have elements of Game of Death in the sense there's a tower, except for it's underground. So it's like an underground tower and kind of descending the levels in this sense. But otherwise, really, it's kind of a sequel to Enter the Dragon. I actually went back and re-listened to the Clones cast episode from a couple years back just to get some notes from Mr. Michael Worth and... Uh, about the film, but really it appears that Golden Harvest had reached out to Inksio and they're like, look, we've got all this Enter the Dragon footage. Here's the basics of what we have. Let's build a movie around this. And they had this idea that they were going to be getting a lot more than they really did. So they start to shoot this film and it's sort of like, yeah, well, you know, actually we've only got these clips and these clips and these clips. So they're still to this day. And also on top of that, the thing that makes this film so confusing is there's so many different versions of it. So upon initial release, the version that came out in America, which I've actually never seen, the original one, had to cut almost all the Enter the Dragon stuff because it was a Warner Brothers film also. Of and course. Warner Brothers had the territorial rights to the U.S. And so they couldn't risk that copyright uh, infringement. So then there was a different version from the U.S. And there was the – but what, what Michael Worth surmises is that they made this full – the version that's available now, the full English dub international version, that was the first version they made. Then they realized, oh, crap, we got to cut out all the Enter the Dragon stuff for the U.S. release. So that version I've never even seen. The the one that's currently available that I have that was part of the Criterion Collection Bruce Lee box set, yeah, I know, a remastered Bruce Bloitation film, amazing, uh, is the full international English dub version. And so at that time, the main footage they got that had never been seen before was the Roy Chow, Bruce Lee talking in the garden sequence, which mm-hmm. was not released in the American version, the original American version meant to the dragon. That wasn't until 1998 when we had the 25th anniversary VHS edition that came out where we got that footage. So that was new. Like, oh, wow, this whole sequence of Bruce talking with Roy Chow. But then they still do jump cuts to the Roy Chow of the film, like in his newer outfit. So you can see the... Uh, the continuity errors where they're yes. trying to splice in new footage. So you had that one. Then there's one scene that still hasn't been used in any of the versions of Enter the Dragon I've seen. That's when Enter the Dragon, it's like Bruce is entering his room on Han's Island and he's walking around looking. And then there's like a book on his desk that has his picture on it and all this writing in Chinese. And it's a very unique shot that is in there. And that's one of the only ones that I know that I still haven't seen. So it makes you think, what if, what if there is more Enter the Dragon footage out there that just is like sitting in a vault? But really, 
Yeah, so the the concept of the film is we've got Bruce Lee's character from Game of Death, Billy Lowe, who is friends with Huang Jing Lee's character, another martial arts expert. Huang Jing Lee gets murdered or dies, and Billy Lowe wants to figure out what's going on. He gets murdered in the process, so his younger brother, Bobby Lowe, has to investigate and avenge him and so forth. What gets really confusing is... So we've got lots of splicing of footage during the first part of the movie where our quote unquote Bruce Lee is still alive, the Billy Lowe mm-hmm. character. But to make it all the more confusing, Kim Tai Chung, the actor who doubled him in Game of Death and is playing the younger brother Bobby Lowe in the film, is also the double for the Billy Lowe Bruce Lee character. So, it, <laughs> so they use him to play quote unquote Bruce Lee. Then Bruce Lee dies. Then it's all about Bobby Lowe and it's Kim Tai Chung again, but now they're obviously not trying to hide his face with sunglasses and weird angles. One of the main issues is at some points, I've never thought Kim Tai Chung really looked like Bruce Lee to begin with. At some angles, maybe if his hair's correct, but it's like they don't even try with his hair in this movie when he's playing Billy Lowe. It's this kind of big poofy thing on his head. Now, some of the shots you can tell were filmed at a different time because his hair's shorter. And those are the ones where I'm like, oh, that that is like I would never think Bruce Lee, but I'm at last at least like okay, you made the effort and he kind of looks like Bruce Lee from a distance, <laughs> so it works. But no, they still give him the same this ridiculous like haircut that doesn't match any of Bruce's haircuts. But uh, yeah, so pretty much Billy Lowe gets murdered. Bobby Lowe, his younger brother, also a martial artist learning at the temple, has to avenge both his brother and the Huang Jing Lee character. He has to investigate what's going on. He ends up kind of befriending Roy Haran's character, this crazy eccentric Guaylo martial artist that has this huge compound with peacocks and lions and challengers where he kills them. And then he gets murdered. And then Bobby Lowe's got to figure that one out. And then eventually leads him to this underground lair where, spoiler alert, Wang Jing Li was alive the whole time and he's the actual villain, a mm-hmm. international drug dealer, and the DEA was on to him. That's why he had to fake his own death. And so yeah, the That's, plot you, you, go ahead. You know, you know, anytime you have a film where Wang Jing Li dies early, you have to know that He's coming back, baby. He's coming back. He's coming back. It's, it's like Yun Wah. He, he's he'll be back. Yeah, <laughs> and he'll he'll be leading the the whole evil assault on on our uh, protagonist. So I know a lot of people listening right now are like, "Why the heck would I want to watch this movie? Why the heck this Bruce Boitation genre?" And you're right. Ninety percent of the films in the Bruce Boitation genre, like Big Boss Two, Gavin watched. Unless you're a true hardcore fan or you want a good laugh, you don't need to watch this film. Though what sets it apart is. A, it was an official Golden Harvest movie. B, obviously had a big budget. C, even when they are doing the cheesy splicing of footage, unlike the first Game of Death, at least they're they're trying to create some continuity in the sense of what like Bruce is wearing, or excuse me, what the Billy Lowe character is wearing, and then when they splice to old Bruce footage, what he's wearing in that, so it kind of mm-hmm. looks the same. But that being said, once the Billy Lowe character dies and we're just focusing on Bobby Lowe, and we're not doing any more of the splicing or throwing in the unused Bruce Lee footage, we're actually getting a phenomenal martial arts picture. From the beginning, too, the fight yeah. scenes are just out of this world incredible. And Yuan Ping is the fight choreographer, and you see a lot of the Yuan clan showing up uh, within the film. And I remember as a kid reading this rumor that supposedly Sammo Hung, Yuan Wu-Ping, and Corey Yuan were all three fight choreographers. Now, I can't speak to Sammo Hung. I don't know. Uh, once again, Yuan Biao does a lot of doubling in this film also. He has a fight yeah. scene at the beginning, but he does all the acrobatic doubling for Kim Tai Chung. And it's funny, with my new 2K beautiful 
Criterion Collection version, you can uh-huh. clearly see UNBL a lot better now in some of the sequences. You're like, oh, they, like that's that's definitely UNBL. But so the reason I bring that up is maybe Samo could have been attached for that reason. But Corey Ewan is definitely a stuntman in it. He's in the finale. Once again, this remastered version, you can clearly see the stuntman's faces now. So it wouldn't be surprising if Corey Ewan was contributing as well. But this is one of those interesting films we've talked about. It's that weird middle ground from the segue from traditional kung fu choreography to contemporary, what we like to call Hong Kong kickboxing choreography. And Mm -hmm. it's stuck right in the middle and does a brilliant job of kind of fusing the two. It's... uh how would you say that? So obviously this is in the Bruce Bruce exploitation genre, but it also feels like it does have basically as you're oh it, just I been describing it, like some I some warriors it, too well aspect I, fighting sequences in it as well yeah but I mean this is Bruce exploitation you cannot deny no it, it is yeah. but I'm just saying like you there there is it is Bruce exploitation but it's not just trying to live within that genre and it has some creativity and originality. Uh, within it, I mean, a, and as we discuss the film, like I'm, I'm remembering the the fight sequences with Yun Biao, and uh, just how much they stood out compared. I mean, this this film has so much more energy than, yes. let's say, Big Boss Two, or or others. I mean, but Big Boss Two, I mean, I watched from start to finish and got some good laughs in. But when when it comes to this film, it it does. I mean, obviously, there's there's based on the cast and who's behind the camera, there is a. Uh, Magnificent Butcher, Warriors 2 aspect to this film. That's that's a great analysis because, as I said, it's in that middle ground where we still kind of have some traditional Kung Fu-esque choreography. The whole pole fighting sequence with Yuan Biao and the other gentleman in the temple. Uh, Certain elements of – especially they're kind of doing – what I wouldn't say is Wing Chun, but they're kind of trying to replicate some Jeet Kune Do type stuff. So it does kind of become a little more Kung Fu-y. But by the end of the movie, like the final fight is much more – it's kind of like a Taekwondo battle between the two mm-hmm. guys, but the fight sequences in this film, you mentioned something, a lot of energy, so fast paced, so intricate, so hard hitting and so creative. There's never a dull moment in the fights. There's never a really hokey moment in the fights. Yes. They kind of throw in some comical elements, very little though. It's pretty straightforward, straight faced, not comedy type movie yes there's the notorious scene with the lion so there's long story short as i mentioned roy haran's character uh lewis has a whole compound where he's got lions and peacocks and at one point bruce is trying to be uh, a a prostitute's trying to seduce him i shouldn't say bruce sorry the bobby low character is a prostitute trying to seduce him and then kill him and right as she's about to kill him, he figures out what's going on, stops her. Then a lion jumps through the window. And it's obviously just a human being in a lion costume uh, and ends up killing the prostitute and then jumping out. It's a lion assassin, pretty much. No real explanation to it later on, whether it was sent by someone or just a lion got loose and felt like killing somebody. So, yes, that is a very hokey sequence that, hey, it's just part of the genre. You know, it's you you like we had gorillas fighting, uh, doing kung fu fighting in Bruce Lee and New Guinea. In this one, you get some lions. Yeah, but yeah, so no. that's that's the main like hokey fight scene. Really, we could have cut that one out. And actually, continuity wise, I think the movie would be fine. And it's funny, uh, uh, Michael Worth actually talked about it on the podcast from what he some like from what he figured out when doing interviews and stuff for his documentary. I think that actually was a real life prostitute. And it's oh, a, geez, yeah, wow. it's, a, it's a Caucasian woman, but you know, no, especially at that time, no one or wherever they were shooting. Can you imagine any local? Caucasian woman living in Hong Kong, like willingly, 
you know, taking their clothes off because it's a full new full frontal nudity uh, sequence. Also, which is extremely rare for Hong Kong films, not not entirely, but at least for the the mainstream Golden Harvest. Oh, yeah, especially pre category three era. So, you know, the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s. So, yeah, viewers beware. There is full frontal nudity uh, in one sequence. Now, do you, do you, do you, so sometimes I feel like when I do watch the exploitation films, they feel like obviously because they're pulling stock footage and, and kind of splicing things together, it's shot. It's the film shoot isn't linear and it's uh, kind of combined. Do you feel like with this film, it's shot a little more linear? Obviously, they are using stock footage, but there seemed to be a little bit more of a semblance of a plot that isn't just put together and then. Well, like, the counter argument, the counter argument to that would be because I can definitely see that. But then you look at the you different did. versions of this film that were released and, and the hair, obviously. Well, the, the main difference would be the Korean version, which is yeah. apparently a completely different film. And I've seen clips of it on YouTube, some remastered ones uh, by this interesting channel I found where just from watching the opening sequence, you realize it's a whole different movie like the, really? the plot. And there's actually extra sh- scene shots. So whereas in our version. Billy Lowe falls from the uh, the helicopter and dies in this mm-hmm. one. Instead, it's his friend Sherman because they pretty much cut out all the Bruce elements of the film. It's okay. more so like a just a straight martial arts flick with a star that's kind of Bruce Lee-esque. But it appears they cut out almost all of the Bruce Lee type stuff. That being said, I was watching a part of the Korean version that still has the sequence where they splice in the Enter the Dragon footage where he's talking with his quote unquote dad about, you know, all that stuff. So obviously there was still that element of it, but they changed things completely around. So I'd imagine they had a rough idea, but then if we look at Hong Kong cinema from that era, we know that they were hardly ever working with full shooting scripts either. I know. So, so so earlier we were talking about like who the, when they make these films, who the, who the target audience is. But when you see exploitation kind of taking place across uh, multiple like film houses like Golden Harvest, do you feel that there was a demand from, there was a pressure to create Bruce exploitation films? Is there is there a reason why so many so many different production companies were pushing these out? Obviously, there, well, I presume there's income from them, but if they weren't doing it, would that make them irrelevant. I look at this as more of kind of a final last ditch effort in terms of the bruceploitation. Cause once again, it could be like, obviously this is bruceploitation, but not so much like the other films where it's just like, Hey, let's get a Bruce Lee imitator and just do this and that. Because by this point, the bruceploitation genre had started to pretty much die out. Mm-hmm. You know, I believe Bruce Lai had already made Chinese stuntman or is the same year maybe. And that was his final swan song in terms of the bruceploitation genre, the Bruce Lee films who were kind of dying out by this point. He did a few more dragon Lee did, but it was not the same anymore. We were segueing into this modern era of Hong Kong action cinema in golden harvest. So I think it was a few elements. A, they liked to release Bruce stuff every few years while they still could, because even after right. this, it was a couple years later, they did the fantastic documentary, Bruce Lee, the legend, which used, you know, a lot of stock footage and this and that. And once again, I think is maybe the best Bruce Lee documentary. It, it just, it's a fantastic one. So I think it was that element, the element of, Hey, let's try to make some money. Like we did off a of game of death with more Bruce Lee footage. We have only, it was either A, they didn't really have the footage, or B, they decided not to use it, or C, they legally couldn't use it. 
And that's why, unlike Game of Death, where we kind of had this last flowing sequence of the Bruce Lee fight scenes, mm-hmm. even if they were cut down to 11 minutes, it was obvious, quote unquote, like lost footage, whereas this one's a few little ones that they splice in there. So I, I'm not sure. Well, maybe we'll learn more when that uh, documentary by Michael Worth comes out. But I think it was more so that element as to why they were pushing it. Or maybe they also realized, hey, uh, let's try to get this out and do this before it's kind of irrelevant, right? Like Mm -hmm. we're already looking at new superstars being born. Jackie Chan at that point, you know, Young Master had already come out in 1980. You know, Sammo Hung was becoming a superstar. I mean, they all were, right? It was like a new era. Even look at Shaw Brothers' output of the Kung Fu movies around this point is when it would start to die out. And I believe their last one was really like 1985, which might have been Martial Arts of Shaolin with Jet Li. But uh, I'm not sure. So there was definitely this segue into contemporary action cinema. And I I honestly can't say, but maybe I theorize it was just uh, one of a few things. A, let's try to do a Bruce project every couple years just to cash in on the Bruce uh, element because it makes money. And at that point, we're still making money. So we'll keep doing it till it's not making money. Uh, And then then it seemed like once that era did finally come to a close, it it became the sort of the that that vintage that research right. uh remake era i mean or and even in between there were sort of like the the biopics yeah. that would come out every now so it's like it, it, there's still there's still this idea that there's something more to be told about this mysterious uh actor and i mean it's mysterious i should say not actor but martial artist philo- philosopher because of how quickly he you know he disappeared or you know we lost him so uh but there's there are these uh you know the biopics that come out and then there are the fantastic remakes or not remakes but like fist of legend i mean come on there's there's that's one of the top films but it is i don't know if that would fall within bruce exploitation but at the same time it is it is pure homage and pure original right fist of of legend i would not consider bruce exploitation at all it is a remake but then, like, there's so many remakes in Hollywood, too, with, like, let's say yeah. you do a remake of, uh, you know, Overboard. Is it considered Kurt Russell's <laughs> exploitation or Goldie Hawn's exploitation? No, it's just a remake. And they did it, like, you know, even if they took some of the same elements. Now, Fist of Legend completely changes it up. That being yeah. said, the Donnie Yen series that came out. Like a year later, the Fist of Fury series for TVB, that mm-hmm. has a lot of Bruce exploitation elements in it in the mm-hmm. sense of he's impersonating Bruce. He's doing a lot of the whoo-haw and, you know, the mannerisms and so forth, whereas Jet Li did none of that. In fact, Jet Li uses a lot of more traditional like wushu type stances. Yeah. So that's kind of the difference between those two. Uh, but, yeah, we should definitely focus and we kind of were starting to and we segued away. Let's really focus real quick on. I shouldn't say quick. Let's take a little bit of time. Let's talk about these fight scenes because once again, the fight scenes in this film are phenomenal. We were talking about this interesting blend between contemporary, traditional, like Kung Fu style, but the, the fight scenes in this film really stand the test of time. They're intricate. They're hard hitting. They're fast. They're explosive. We have some great performers. So at the beginning of the film, you know, we have the staff sequence in the temple mm-hmm. and then Roy Chow jumps in and he's using his fan. That is very traditional Kung Fu-esque because they're using weapons, even their stances, their poses, their lines, their shapes. Very traditional Kung Fu. But every most of the stuff that the 
both Billy and Bobby Lowe characters do are more contemporary, hard-hitting, like Jeet Kune Do-esque, right? They're supposed to be Bruce Lee's style. So we've got a couple of great fight sequences throughout the movie. I really like the one where, I mean, I always thought he was going to Japan, the... uh because they call it the Ginza, right? Isn't that in Japan? Yeah, that, yeah. that is, yeah. So they say in, in the English dub, he's got to go to the Ginza, even though, for example, on the Clones cast episode, I think they said it. the movie takes place exclusively in Korea after that. But the Ginza <laughs> is in Japan. So it's like, no, he's going to Japan. So the whole fight sequence there is great. It starts off in a like dressing room. And we have some great slow motion shots. And that's the funny part now is in this remastered version, one of the most beautiful kicks in the movie, which is just... And it just goes to show nowadays there's so much incredible tricking that people do. And that's an amazing skill. But sometimes a good just traditional jump spinning wheel kick can mm-hmm. look incredible and done right. And there's one where it's obviously Yuen Biao doing it because of the know. air he gets, which Kim Tai Chung, for me, I, I always wondered how he got cast. It's like maybe in, in doubling Bruce for the original game of death, maybe just someone thought he looked like Bruce. Maybe someone who needed some glasses or contact lenses or never watched a Bruce movie because as a martial artist he's good right you know he's good but he seems more just kind of like hey I've been doing taekwondo my whole life because you know I was raised in South Korea and it was part of my education you know he he seems good but not phenomenal he's not a Huang Jing Lee right so I've always kind of wondered why he was cast in general, you know, because I think he's a great martial artist, but not as good as most of his contemporaries. So in that sequence, for example, there was the slow motion shots. Obviously, the flip's going to be UNBL, but there's this one kick I always thought was so beautiful. And now you can totally tell, oh, crap, that's UNBL. But even still, he runs outside in the Ginza. Then we've got a fight sequence out in an alleyway and there's a car that drives through and he's got to like jump over the car. Mm-hmm. And it's just so fast and hard hitting. And these fight scenes... Man, if you did these nowadays, they would be appreciated. And then we get some more later on. Even Roy Haran's whole sequence at his like his compound, his lair, he does like a kung fu demonstration, and he was explosive and powerful and fast. And he fights these two challengers, where wow, he he impresses me with his skill. And that may he rest in peace. He just passed away a couple of years ago. But then there's that slow motion shot where the one challenger does a jump flying sidekick, and then. I mean, I can't imagine it was Roy Haran because that is an incredibly hard gymnastics move to do. But whoever is doubling him, they got an amazing wig because it looks just like him where pretty much he jumps backwards, lands on his back folded and then does a kip up Mm -hmm. as the other guy lands and kicks him again. It's such an intricately timed sequence and they show it all in slow motion that you're just like, wow. And whoever's doubling Roy Haran, if he's being doubled and if he's not. My apologies, because that takes a phenomenal amount of physical skills and athleticism. But like that whole sequence is amazing. Then we get the the finale where he goes into the quote unquote, uh, the temple that was built under the ground. Mm-hmm. And we have that whole finale, which is for some reason made to look kind of like a space station. And that is very cool and hard hitting. As we say, you see Corey Yuen in there. Mars is in there with a yes. really cheesy mustache, which I didn't notice until watching this remastered version. I paused it. That's the great thing. Now you can pause Blu-rays and, you know, slow motion, move forward until you're, you have it on their face and you're like, ah, that's Mars. And that whole sequence has so many intricate little elements. You see, once again, it's a preview to the greatness of Yuan Wuping. And that's why I feel like Yuan Wuping really had more of an input on the fight sequences than, say, 
Corey Ewan, even though I guess there's Corey Ewan elements in there too. But yeah, just some of the very creative movements they do. This is the birth of this contemporary style, the stuff that would lead to Fist of Legend, right? You know, uh, over a decade later. And then you've got a great warm-up fight against Tiger Yang, uh, a well-known martial artist from that era who created his own style of Korean martial arts, uh, Choi Choi Il Do or something along those lines. I forget. I I did some research and was watching some of the videos. Kind of looks he just like he put Taekwondo. I'm not trying to take away from him as a martial artist, but it looks like he, you know, kind of just combined some Taekwondo with some Kung Fu movements and made some new forms. Uh, Interesting enough, he actually had a a quote-unquote fighter in the early days of UFC, if I'm not mistaken. It was another one of those ones where like, hey, you know, put your name on our, or put our school to associate with you. We'll give you a black belt. And, you know, mm-hmm. I think kind of like, was it Gary Goodridge that did that with Kuxel Wan? I forget. But so he had a chain of schools. I don't really think they're uh, around anymore, but it's a great fighting between the two of them. And you have this insane slow, once again, great use of slow motion in this great slow motion kick where he does this flying Tong Lo, or excuse me, Kim Tai Chung, whether Tim or Yuen Biao does this flying kick as Tiger Yang's holding up a box. He kicks through the box in slow motion and you see his foot hit Tiger Yang in the face. You yep. can't fake that. That's just a flying sidekick to the face. Well, you know, it, you know, what's funny is as you talk about the sequences and, you, and we think about the slow motion, that's that that's the element that makes me think that it had to be Corey Yoon or Samuel Hung involved in these sequences somehow, whether it's choreography or I, because I'm not, you, I wasn't used to seeing that type of slow motion outside of their, like introducing it to us. Like even just a couple of years later with the winners and sinners that we've discussed before, but that, that slow motion kick is one of the few. And I saw this film, about 16 months ago, mm-hmm. that's one of the sequences that you absolutely, that I absolutely remember. And you actually bring up a really good point because the whole opening fight sequence in the uh, greenhouse, one of my favorites with Casanova Wong, was yes. choreographed by Samo for sure because that was part of the original Hong Kong release of Game of Death a couple years before where that fight sequence, the reason why it's one of my favorites is how important it is to the evolution of Hong Kong martial arts cinema in terms of it being like a contemporary style, fast paced, intricately choreographed fight sequence. And that one utilizes some great slow motion shots in there. The double split kick, the mm-hmm. sidekicks through the air. So mm-hmm. you, maybe you're onto something there. I don't know. I mean, you, it, it's hard to tell when it's a film that's like kind of spliced together this way and, and, and all the different versions of releases there are. But when we see what feels almost like a signature, signature move or a signature filming style, it just feels like they had to be near. Yeah. They had to be near the set. And then the funny part is we go from this whole contemporary style sequence against the guards and against Tiger Yang to then he fights Lee Hoi San, like the final guard, right? And mm-hmm. he's very he's dressed like a monk. He's got a one of the traditional Chinese almost trident looking things. And it's mm-hmm. more of a traditional type fight sequence in the terms of he's using this big weapon. And then uh, obviously our Bobby Lo character makes easy work of him. Then that's when we have the big reveal. Oh, Huang Jing Li's still alive. And then we have their fight sequence, which... Once again, in terms of choreography, that you can watch Huang Jingli kick all day long and be entertained. Absolutely. And it's almost more so like, hey, we have these two kickers. How do we have them choreographed together? So what they do is they kind of implement a lot of acrobatics in that final fight, which is obviously all done by Yuen Biao. So some of the sequences 
what they're doing, you're just like, holy crap, how is that humanly possible? Well, it's Yuen Biao, and he's an amazing acrobat. So we get a lot of those cool elements. Eventually, there's a sword that comes into play because the Huang Jing Li character is a master of, uh, what's it called? The the Boken, the wooden sword or whatever. Like, yeah, and then it, spoiler, it becomes a real sword. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and obviously there's, they throw in some exploitation elements, the waving of the hand, some Jeet Kune Do-esque type stuff. But we get a fantastic long finale too obviously that's the thing about the films from this era we were always given long fight sequences and it just doesn't disappoint at all in terms of the martial arts and i know we kind of broke that down into about 10 minutes just now and then five minutes before that but really there's a lot of appreciation that goes towards the fights in this movie kind of how it was a segue from old school kung fu to contemporary kickboxing style choreography as we like to call it back and forth uh a seamless blend that makes sense for the film, some amazing players in it, some amazing stunt doubling, which kind of works. I hate to say seamlessly, but really it does. You know, they do a good job. Whereas they couldn't get freaking Kim Tai Chung to look like Bruce when at the beginning, they do a good job of making Yuen Biao look like Kim Tai Chung. Maybe uh-huh. their, their uh-huh. shapes and hair were just more similar. I don't know. But yeah. So to sum up this film, I don't even know. So he, in in the in this again universe of Bruce exploitation and particularly the films that are made just after his passing that are that are clearly there to to make make money off of his name or off of the mystique would you say that this is one of the absolute standouts and i know it's hard to say this is one is better than the other but wouldn't you say that this is this is a film that can stand alone most definitely. I think it's one that can stand alone. I could say it's one of the standouts. And I think it's also a great introductory film for someone that's interested in exploitation because you're not taking them into the deep waters right out the gate. It's not like, hey, let me show you real Bruce Lee. Part documentary, part Dragon Lee kind of remake in Fist of Fury, all mm-hmm. craziness. No, or like, hey, let me show you this film. It's called Bruce Lee in New Guinea. He fights some gorillas or, uh-huh. you know, hey, let me show you this one. It's called Bruce Against the Iron Finger. We got Bruce Lay. We've got pretty much two different films being filmed at once put together. It's about the secret manual of Bruce's finger techniques. Yeah. So, you know, you're not taking them straight into the crazy, crazy, craziness. This is true. And they can definitely realize some of the exploitive nature, but still also get a higher budget very entertaining film with some phenomenal fight sequences. So I think in that sense, you're right. It definitely stands alone. It's also, and once again, it's part of this criterion collection I have. So this mm-hmm. was the one they chose to be part of this box set that they felt was, I guess, cinematic enough to be, uh, associated with the criterion collection. Now, um, and thanks for thanks for that clarification. Would you say that a good Bruce exploitation film, like one one of this caliber, um, is a film that if you if a fan hasn't seen a Bruce Lee film yet, this 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 film can launch you into what's going on, what's going to happen in the eighties with the Samuel Hung Golden Harvest Harvest films, or it's also a film that might pique someone's interest to then explore Bruce Lee because shouldn't shouldn't a proper blues Bruce exploitation film for a fan that has not seen a Bruce Lee film want to then mine into the Bruce Lee library. 
first of all, shame on you if you've never seen a Bruce Lee film. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, that, that's <laughs> if you're a, listening to this podcast, you, you, yeah, that's yeah, a really a little... interesting question though, because I, I almost worry that no, you don't want to do that because they'd see this and get this false representation of what a Bruce. Oh, so this is a Bruce Lee movie. This is hokey. No, 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 it's not. It's like Bruce exploitation. I'd almost want somebody to at least watch Enter the Dragon first, right? I, I would not mm-hmm. want this to be their quote unquote introduction to Bruce Lee. However, as I said before, if it's a stepping stone into Bruce Bloitation, because even if someone's like, yeah, I know Bruce Lee. Yeah, I've seen Bruce Lee movies. Most people that say that actually haven't. They've seen clips. They've seen this and that. They've seen the nunchuck ping pong video they think is real. Whoa. Uh, what? Yeah. What? So, no, I would I would have to say no. I wouldn't want them to do that. I feel like you need to at least have seen a Bruce Lee film, appreciate Bruce Lee, watch a real Bruce Lee documentary to familiarize right. yourself with the actual man, right? What he stood for, what he represented. And it's almost more like one of those things, once you've watched all of his films, once you've truly started to appreciate his art, maybe then you can step into this weird subgenre that inadvertently obviously involves him. It's a part of his legacy, whether you want to admit it or not. And then you can kind of start to explore that because I just, I would hate for someone to get the wrong idea because people already have the wrong idea. Well, they had, yeah, you know, the caricatures of Bruce. And this is another interesting element of you look at most people, most of us, martial arts film fans, we look at Bruce as hundred percent positive, what he did for Asian representation, for martial arts cinema, this and that. But then there's also this idea of he actually reinforced stereotypes. So yes, he diminished and he broke down the stereotypes of the asexualized Asian male, the, uh, if anything, sometimes effeminate, you know, uh, uh, kind of, uh, secondary character, right. And instead created this strong leading man, but at the same time was still in a sense, othering, being that it was, oh, now, quote unquote, the Asian karate guy, right? This kind of mm-hmm. hyper masculine, violent character like, oh, shoot, now there's this representation of every Asian guy knows karate or kung fu, right? Creating new stereotypes. So that's something like when you're doing kind of, you know, critical studies of film uh, and you you have to sometimes look at something that you're so passionate about. And this happened to me in grad school where a professor brought this up. I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, blah, blah. But then I could appreciate their side of it as someone that grew up in America, Chinese American, this professor. And I was like, oh, okay, I see where you're coming from now, right? And so that that's something right there that needs to be thought about as well. And it's interesting because actually Sifu Alex was talking about this in one of the recent episodes of the uh the Kung Fu Genius podcast, like, you know, his era, especially growing up, it's like they thought all their Asian friends knew martial arts, right? This kind of othering and stereotype where someone may look at it as like, yeah, it's badass, man. Fucking Kung Fu and karate is badass. Pardon my French, sorry. Uh, but then others might look at it. No, it's a stereotype. You know, there's we're so much more than just that element of our culture. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's always going to be differing opinions. No, that, that uh, I think it's I think uh, first of all, thanks for sharing all of that. And what I would say is there are some of the Bruce exploitation films, like one of the films that you discussed earlier, They Call Me Bruce, mm-hmm. is essentially a take on that of some of a, you know, stand-up comedian, Johnny Yoon. Yeah. Johnny, you know, essentially not knowing martial arts, but being always projected to know martial arts. I forget if his character was named Bruce or people were just calling him Bruce. Of course, when by the time that film became somewhat successful, he made part two and all of a sudden he's a little bit more of a fighter. I, I mean, it's- They still call me Bruce. The they, 
Bruce. Still call me Bruce. Yes. <laughs> so it's 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 really uh, it's the mystique of Bruce Lee is very is complicated. Very. I mean, there's there's the Kung Fu TV series that is essentially ripped from his concept and his ideas. Then there's the the TV series that came out a few years ago, Warrior. Well, here's the deal, real quick. It can be argued that Kung Fu wasn't actually ripped off from his ideas. It could be this weird in Matthew Polly's book. He talks about it where mm-hmm. he theorizes it wasn't. And it's just this one of those coincidental elements or uh, uh, coincidental moments of like synchronicity where two different yeah. people were coming up with the same idea at the same time. And it's more so that. But then, yes. Yeah, so you're saying Warrior, the actual treatment he wrote yes. that supposedly they ripped off for Kung Fu. Yes. And so, I mean, it's just, it's just essentially we're, we're in this, we're in this, uh, everything that, that stems off of the mystique of Bruce Lee and his writing and his, and his great interviews that he gave us and the films that we got to see spawn some like money grabs with Bruce, Bruce exploitation and then spawn great films like the one that we're discussing today. And also like different projects that have like emerged out of homages or, or just, inspiration. I mean, right now, look at the fact that Ang Lee is going to be making a new Bruce Lee biopic starring his son, who's been training in secret apparently for three years in martial arts and probably Jeet Kune Do and so forth. And that, that right there, who knows what that film is going to be. And I feel like even if the film turns out amazing, you're going to have people that just hate it just because, or it may turn out terrible. And some people are still going to love it because it's Ang Lee and this and that. I really don't know. I'm staying open-minded. Well, it's, am it's, I it, am I confident in it? Unfortunately, no. But well, it's, it, yeah, oh no, and it's it's sort of like the emotions that you and I both discussed after the first time we saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, you know, and around uh, the sequence circling the you know the fight sequence around you know Bruce Lee the character fighting Brad Pitt's character. Mm-hmm. It's you know it's very um, and people are were really upset with that portrayal we talked about, it, but the, and it's so funny because that portrayal by Mike Moe as Bruce Lee is much more, he does a great job with his voice. He sounds a lot like him, but the way Tarantino wrote it and had him presented was much more Bruce Bloitation. Now let's mm-hmm. look, everyone is so in shock. Bruce Lee is, I mean, Quentin Tarantino is this huge Bruce Lee fan. Look, wait, no, Bruce Lee is a huge Bruce Bloitation fan. He's talking about he like is. one of his all time favorite martial arts movies is uh Chinese Connection 2 or Fist of Fury Part 2, whichever mm-hmm. title you saw it under. And you look at Kill Bill, that's all like Bruce Lee, Bruce Bloitation elements in that. Yeah, so it's not that big of a surprise when that's the way he has him portrayed on there. And it, 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 the emotional take that we have from that sequence, ex, you know, explains like those who are, those of us who are martial art fans, why, you know, why we're so emotionally tied to it. But then if we, like you said, if you take a step back and you look at all of Tarantino's films, so many of them being, uh, you know, love, love letters to the exploitation genre. Uh, it makes total sense why the why the caricature is a caricature. And once again, this is a small sequence of a historical fiction. Now, imagine if if they did if if Quentin Tarantino made a Bruce Lee biopic and that was the Bruce Lee he had throughout the whole movie, that'd be a whole <laughs> different situation. I'd be like, yes. oh my god, what the heck? This is terrible. So that would that would be a whole different situation we'd find ourselves in. But. Uh, Wow, we're already at uh, seventy minutes, so let's wow. wrap this up. This seventy has been... minutes for for discussing a film that one of us yeah, failed watched. to watch properly this week. In all fairness, I think we ended up talking about the movie for about thirty minutes, so that that's pretty good. That's only forty minutes of 
segueing into the strange and fascinating world of Bruceploitation. So to wrap it up, once again, Game of Death 2, a.k.a. Tower of Death, I believe it's available on the Haya app. Mm-hmm. I'm not 100% sure. I think it is. I watched it. Once again, I have it on Blu-ray. It's very easily accessible on DVD, Blu-ray. You can watch versions of it on YouTube as well. Once again, though, I always encourage people when it's a film that's easily accessible to buy for you to buy it. So please do that. Uh, a great watch for anybody that is a martial arts cinema fan, which means you're already a Bruce Lee fan, kind of whether you want to admit it or not, or you've at least seen his films. If you're interested in the Bruceploitation genre, it's a great stepping stone once again, because you're getting a very entertaining film without a lot of the cheesy and hokiness and over the topness of other films. And yeah, highly recommend you check it out. Some great fight sequences, a lot of familiar faces, and and, it, and you you are correct. It is available on the Haya app. Perfect. Uh, for those of you who make the same mistake I did, Big Boss Two is available through Wu Tang, the Wu Tang Collection, and also on YouTube. Oh, very good. So real quick, we're gonna do language corner. I feel like it's been all on me recently because we've been doing a lot of Hong Kong films. So interesting. I was like, all right, what what can I do for this film? So the first thing that popped in my head was revenge. I'm like, okay, I'll teach you how to say the word revenge. You may be saying, oh, AJ, you know, why would you know? how to say revenge, blah, blah. And I was joking with Gavin before we started recording. I would constantly, that's why I love my Chinese teacher, uh, Rita Lausher. Rita Lausher, ni hao. Uh, but I would just bring in random ass words and be like, hey, I want to learn how to say this. And they were almost uh-huh. always Kung Fu movie related, right? So like I, I at one point, uh, and I think it was more so I was learning how to say bodyguard, uh, biao. And so it's like, oh, it's a similar word. So she's teaching me other words associated with that. So revenge is Bao Cho. Very good. Yeah. So pinion is B A O. And we're talking the slicing down tone. Bao. Bao. And then Cho. C H O U. And then the rising tone. Cho. Cho. Bao Cho. Bao Cho. Yeah. Very good. So that's our in Mandarin once again for revenge. I like it. Yeah. So in a kung fu movie, it may be, ah, Wei Fu Bao Cho. I'm avenging my father. Yep. So there we go. Well, thank you for your uh, flexibility and patience today. Oh, I was really shocked you know when, 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 said, the, when the episode it, launched. I'm like, Game of Death 2. <laughs> I, that? Had, it, had it been something different, I would have been like, oh, Jesus, what are we going to do? I just had to laugh. And I'm like, this is actually perfect. Because once again, it's so confusing. They purposely did this to try to trick people into watching Bruceploitation films. I've fallen victim to it. I've fallen victim to Jackie Chan exploitation, as you did with Rumble in Hong Kong. Maybe we can talk a whole episode on that one of these days. Uh, but on that, this has been an amazing conversation. Always fun. Thanks Always for leading fun. it. And I, and I, you know, for those of us who aren't as familiar with Bruceploitation as you are or the Clones cast, mm-hmm. the, I, every time I hear about this, it's, it's, uh, it's very educational. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you, Lao Sher, Ricciardi. <laughs> I love how you mix like Chinese with an Italian pronunciation of my name. Remember, it would be Ricciardi Lao Sher. Ricciardi Lauscher. I, I don't I don't have Ricciardi as a, in an Italian or excuse me <laughs> in a Chinese like pronunciation <laughs> member. So technically my my first name being Andrew in Chinese it's Andalu. And when I first went to Shanghai and I was training at the Shanghai Sports University, I you know my the, the teacher asked me like oh, Ni jiao shen wang mingzi like what's your name and I say oh well jiao Andalu. And at that time my my Mandarin was terrible right uh-huh. and she's like Andalu oh. Andalu like and very strange and she's like. Mm. <laughs> Uh, 我叫你阿鲁，可不可以？ 
like I'm going to call you Alu. Uh-huh. Is it okay? And I'm just like, uh, uh, okay. You know, not even realizing. And then later I got stuck with this name, Alu, uh-huh. which Ah is literally just a sound. And then Lu as in Ma Lu as in road. So, okay. yeah. So my name is kind of like Ah Road. <laughs> so, but I don't have Richardi. So, but yeah, it'd be Richardi Laosher. Just like Richardi Sensei, right? It's like, you yes. know, the surname goes first. Richardi Laosher. Ah, Okay. Uh, I'll see you next week. Bye bye, my friend. Bye.